ESPN and Anscape contributor Dominique Foxworth has a new podcast every Tuesday and Thursday, bringing his unique perspectives on football, the personalities that surround it, and just about anything else he finds interesting or thinks you might. So check out the Dominique Foxworth Show. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain, a podcast about, well, whatever the hell I want. Actors and musicians, athletes, comedians, neuroscientists, wine experts. If I find somebody interesting, I'm bringing them to you. We'll talk about how they became who they are, how they found success, battled failures, and how they ended up here talking to me. My name is Taylor Rooks, and right now my dilemma is trying to be in eight places at one time. I'm having to move apartments with lots of stuff while also getting ready to be on the road two days out of the week for like four months, and it's it's impossible to get everything done. So my dilemma is that there's only one of me, and I need about ten of me. Time. The most in-demand resource of all successful people. At least, you know, until they're so rich that they've got like a villa in Italy and they just sit there poolside turning down job offers and counting their money. But most still ambitious, still rising successful people need more time. And while I can't clone you or add more hours to the day, I can suggest lists. Lots of them. Make a list of everything you need to get done for the move and for the first game of the new Amazon Prime gig and for all of your other gigs. And make the list in order of importance. Don't do the silly thing first because it's easier than the big thing because that five or ten minutes you spend on it might be something that you need back. So prioritize the most important things. Do them first. And then also you might need to say no. If you got to finish moving, you might have to do that dinner with friends later. Uh, if you got to finish prepping for Chiefs and Chargers and get ready for that gig, um, you got to focus on that. And you maybe have to let the two-night most dramatic bachelorette fantasy suite event special ever sit on your DVR for a bit. Okay, fine. Now I'm just talking to myself. And no, I will not actually be letting that fantasy suite two event night episode burn a hole in my DVR. I will very clearly be watching that immediately. That's what she said. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Uh, and welcome back to brand spanking new episodes. We've got a bunch coming up for you that I'm excited for. I just got back from the most glorious vacation, which is why there were a couple repeats. I went to Lake Como, Switzerland, and Spain. And I feel super rested, super ready for the football season and the last month or so of great weather here in Chicago before all the delightful autumn stuff comes around. Uh, not pumpkin spice drinks, though. I don't do that. I like my pumpkin spice in candles, uh, not in my food. Uh, hopefully in a future episode, I will talk to you a little bit more about the trip that I took and take some time to share um, just how cool it was to see new parts of the world and dive into culture and food and spend some really great time with my husband and friends and just take a break. Um, for now, I will just say that we need more arches in America and roundabouts and courtyards and public squares. And we need roasty. How have we not adopted roasty for our own and made it a brunch staple? It's beyond me, really. And not just any roasty, because we have hash browns. I'm talking roasty rolls. So it's basically a hash brown log stuffed with herbed cheese. God damn. How do we not have that here yet? Okay. All right. I could spend hours on the food alone. But today, we must dive back into the sports world. And this week's guest is a rising star whose resume is already stacked despite being just 30 years old, Taylor Rooks. 
is a reporter, tremendous interviewer, feature storyteller. Uh, she has worked for Scout.com, Big Ten Network, SNY, uh, and her current gigs are with Turner Bleacher Report and Amazon Prime Thursday Night Football. That is the newest addition to her resume. Um and she's she's just done a ton of stuff. We had a great time talking about her starting young, working while she was still in college, getting a gig right out of college, and working her way up the ranks uh, to already have had so much success at such a young age. She's going to be a part of the Amazon Prime uh, Thursday Night Football broadcasts that are just starting up this season, doing interviews with players, telling some future stories. So um, very exciting. Uh, I think you're going to like this conversation with Taylor. I'm super excited to talk to Taylor Rooks, who I don't know well, but I have briefly met and who I am seeing everywhere, who is absolutely blowing up and most recently was named as part of Amazon Prime's Thursday Night Football broadcast for this upcoming season. But we'll get to that later because we got to go way back. We got to go to St. Louis and Georgia, born in one, grew up in another. When did you get from the Midwest down to the South? Oh, wow. First, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation for sure. Um, so I was born in St. Louis. We left St. Louis when I was maybe one years old. I was barely living in St. Louis, but we moved from St. Louis to Chicago. I was in Chicago for two to three years. They moved to LA randomly for one wow. year. Yeah, for my dad's work. Then I moved to Georgia when I was six. So just okay. from zero to six, I was in a bunch of places. But six on to school at University of Illinois, I lived in Georgia. So bulk of my life, I was down south. Now, is this a military family? No, but people do tend to ask me that because <laughs> of how much, we, how much we moved when I was younger. No, it was more than my dad would move based on the project he was working on. So Okay, what did you do for work? Uh, construction management. So we were okay. there and then in LA for a little bit. And then in Georgia, he was actually a part of building um, a different terminal at Hartsfield. He oversaw that. So we were there and then we just stayed. I assume that, and I hope for your sake, well, I guess it's sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't, but for my personal likings, you avoided being a fan then of St. Louis teams and instead <laughs> your fandom tends to go towards the Georgia side. Yes, absolutely. Now my allegiance is to the Falcons the Hawks. And then for college, obviously my school, University of Illinois, but I also root for the dogs because if you're from Georgia, okay. that's just like it's religion yeah. on there. Um, but my baseball team is the Cardinals because my uncle is St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah. <laughs> so I grew up a Cardinals fan. My whole family is Cardinals fans. Yeah, that was the part I was hoping you got to avoid. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I mean, <laughs> well, sustained the excellence. Cardinals, there's been some high yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, sustained excellence is good for you, but yeah. my view of Cardinals fans is so flawed that uh, I'll try not to I'll try not to judge you. Yeah, because um, you're a Cubs so, fan, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Diehard Chicago. So St. Louis, you know, that that's the that's the real enemy there. Yeah, um, so we definitely aren't Cubs fans. So my, <laughs> my uncle uh, was Lou Brock. Yes, so, I was going to ask about that. Uh, one of the most famous uh, trades yeah. <laughs> trades that just went absolutely terribly for the Cubs. Uh, no one even remembers the other guy. They just know that Lou Brock went on to have uh, endless success uh, yes. in, in, in the Hall of Fame. And who knows what Ernie Broglia is doing, but we'll figure yes, it out. There you go. There you go. Ernie Broglia. You remember. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about that quickly because that that's your uncle is Lou Brock. Um, you have other... Uh, uh, your other uncle is a former Steeler and New Orleans Saints player, Marv Woodson. Your dad was a top rusher for the Fighting Illini football team. So uh, is it safe to say you were born like just 
meant to care about sports and maybe even play them? Oh, for sure. I mean, it's so big in my family. Like it's really all we care about. I mean, everyone from my dad to my mom to my sister, it's it's what everybody is into. And I always say this to people, I am somebody who doesn't like to do things I'm not good at. And I knew Ditto. I, I know, hate being I, bad at stuff. Yeah, like I knew I wasn't <laughs> going to be Serena Williams, unfortunately. <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to be Lisa Leslie. You know, I knew I wasn't going to be the top of the top of any of these sports, but I knew how much I loved sports. And just because it was such a big part of growing up with my family and also in the South, it's just you're, you live, breathe, and eat it all the time. And so I wanted to have a way to still be involved in sports, what they've meant to my life, what they've meant to my family's life, um, without being on the quarter field. So I was able to, to figure that out. When did you figure out and decide to stop playing? So I played soccer growing up. And then when I was in high school, I ran track for a bit. And yes. I played tennis in middle school. But okay. I, so you stuck with it for a bit. I stuck with it for a little bit. Yeah. Like I would say each sport I did for like two to three years. And I was like, oh, let me move on. Is there another one I'm really good at? Let me try another yeah. <laughs> But I would say like my sophomore year of high school, I stopped participating actively in the sport. Yeah. 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 So at what point did you decide that it was a job? Because you, you studied broadcast journalism in college. Was that an immediate decision or did you waffle a bit before heading that direction? Yeah. So that's a good question because it was a mix of both. Like, so growing up, I always would tell people what I wanted to be is like a journalist. I wanted to be on TV asking questions or delivering the news. Like I had posted on social media maybe two months ago, this video of me when I was like, eight years old and I would set up my camcorder and ask myself questions and I would have to answer them. <laughs> so like some days I would be an actor. Some days I was a basketball player. Some days I was a singer and I would like make questions to ask this fictional me um, and answer them. Like that was always very intriguing to me. I liked doing that. But you know, you, you grow up and there's so many things that you see and that are fed to you that make you feel like that is a job that is sort of unattainable. Um, so you're just like, okay, well, I want to do this, but I'm not really sure if it's something that's realistic. So when I was going to school, I was like, okay, do I want to go in without declaring my major and figure it out? So that my freshman year is when I decided I was going to go full force into broadcast journalism. So I went in not broadcast journalism and I changed into it my second semester of my freshman year of school. Isn't it funny to look back and it sounds like you didn't have too much time where you, where you um weren't quite sure but it's always funny to me to look back when people do have those moments of their youth and can say oh that wasn't just like a fad or like a kid playing around that was something that like you still felt passionate about um doing later um, oh, totally. the interviewing and the whatever because you know uh, some people grow up and they're like i want to be an astronaut or like a veterinarian and then they're like oh wait science is hard or like <laughs> yeah. you know um Whereas like I literally have video from after a basketball game in high school and we played against a team that we had a friend on the other team and I fake interviewed her for my friend's dad's camera about them losing to us. Oh, and like at the time, so I had no idea it's what I wanted to do, but it's like it was a very natural thing for me afterwards to be like, so how does it feel losing to us? No, like, totally. <laughs> and it's so cool that like you listen to what that voice was, you know, yeah. and decided this yeah. is the thing that I want to do. And 
something cool. too is like there is such a major advantage that comes from knowing what you want to do early on mm. and like that doesn't mean that everyone has to have their life figured out i think it's unrealistic unreal to expect everyone to know exactly what they want to do but when you have your eyes set on one thing and you have a goal set you can take the steps towards that. It just gives you such a direction, which in turn gives you a major advantage in terms of what you eventually want to do. Well, that's just what I was thinking as I was looking at your resume and how early you began doing actual work in this business, because it's funny, I tell you that story and then I say it's not what I thought I wanted to do because I went to college wanting to be on Saturday Night Live and do comedy. I moved to LA for acting and comedy. Didn't even occur to me to work in sports because there were so few women. So when it came back around to it, I was like, shit, I've been like kind of doing that without realizing it since I was a kid. And so I did take this very circuitous path where I did a ton of other stuff before I started out. That is not the case for you. You decided to do broadcast journalism and while you were at U of I, you already started working for scout.com. So tell me how you balance your workload, act like a college kid, have fun, <laughs> and then also decide to actually apply for a job during school or is that part of your classes? How does that work? Yeah. So if I am being 100% completely honest, I said, I cannot live in like Iowa or something. And I was like, <laughs> I, I was like, I have to be doing something that I felt was significant to me. And that is not me saying that, you know, if you are in a small market, it's not significant. Those jobs are all incredibly hard and incredibly important. But for me, it just wasn't a fit. It wasn't the thing right. that I thought would work for me. And you say that just for context for people, most of the time early in this business, they will tell folks, you've got to go to a small market and not as much anymore, but it used to be like, be a one man band, take yeah. the camera out, film your own stuff, edit it, and then present it for your two minutes on the nightly news on the Iowa local, whatever. And for a lot of people, that's the path you have to take to get to the bigger markets. And so your point is not to skewer Iowa. Uh, but more so that you wanted to enter enter with like a bigger a bigger scene. Totally yes, and also I love Iowa. I've been to Ames, been to Iowa City, great cities. Um, <laughs> but I just was like this. It was it wasn't for me. And I also think this goes to uh, I, this is like a tangent, but it goes to the way that we tell students how their life has to be. I don't think that we should teach students that you have to do this smaller market to eventually make it to the big market because it's just it's just an unfair way. It limits them without you even realizing it. But anyways, so I knew that that was not for me. So I said, what do I have to do in these four years to be better than everybody and become really good at this? So I like started a sports blog where I was interviewing random people just to become a better interviewer. I was putting packages together. I was writing just like random articles because someone told me really early on that the only way to get good at it was to have a lot of reps. So I was trying to record stuff every day just to get better at it. And it's so, so smart. Yeah. And and at your age, uh, you just recently turned 30, right? Yes, I did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So at your age, I mean, there was there was already so much technology and the availability of that allows you to, to practice and take the reps. You don't have to go borrow a full on video camera and then get an editor to bring in the tape and then cut it. You can make your own things. And like young people now, 
making your own podcast or YouTube channel or whatever, even if it's private, you could get all those reps and it makes such a big difference. And, you know, I, I wonder when you started working for scott.com and, and you weren't just doing your own blog or, or interviewing people, um, how much fear there was in, do I know enough, you know, am I walking into spaces with, um, enough knowledge and, and ability to, to, to be paid for this work already. Cause I think that's always the hardest part about those early gigs. No, for sure. It, it definitely is. And so I knew that I knew enough, but I wondered if it would show, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. because you know, you go into that situation and you're the only student, you know, that's like in this press box and you're all, you're constantly feeling like you have to show that you know as much as everyone else to be able to do it. Um, but again, that was the reps. I had a really good like infrastructure around me. You know, like I had a boss that I saw every single day. I had like a lot of communication with the SIDs and things like that. So it was a very good environment for me to be able to learn. But I would say one thing about myself is I've always felt like I could do whatever it is that I wanted to do. Um, I think that that has been a, an advantage for me as well. But what you were saying too about the importance of reps and just being able to, you know, get your phone and get your computer or whatever is it helped me so much that I grew up in this social media era. Like, mm. I don't know what consuming news is without things like the internet. So I always felt like everything in the world was reachable and attainable because I always had my phone or my computer. And I yeah. owe a very large part of my career to the internet. Like that, their only reason scout.com and Fox Sports found me was because of that vlog. They saw it and they said, okay, this is really good. We want you to work with us for the rest of my, of, of your, you know, college career. So that worked out for me. And then when I did that, Big to Network saw that work and said, hey, will you do some sideline for us? Like all of this was because I was able to showcase what I did online. And so yeah. that's one thing I tell everybody now, like you have to use the internet to your advantage because you can build a following, right? You can figure out what your voice is, like what do people like and not like about your content? What is interesting about what you bring? Like the internet mm -hmm. is a case study in all of that as you're trying yeah. to figure out, you know, what makes you different um, and important in these spaces. Yeah, you could practice having takes and having a thesis and having a thought on things and reacting. You could practice being on camera, all that stuff. But also, you know, you had the idea of doing the work and putting it out there. And um, one of the great parts about the internet, um, as far as up and coming folks, is that you don't have to get through the gatekeepers that you used to back in the day. Like yeah. if you wanted to work in this business, you had to be hired. And then an editor or a program director or somebody had to hire you and then put you on air or give you a column or allow you the space to write. And with the internet, if it's good enough, you can direct people to content on a website that you just make up, on a vlog, on a blog, on a podcast, on a YouTube channel. And um, it does allow for really great talent to get through um, with a following that then proves, you know, kind of proof of concept. You don't, you, you can show up to somewhere and say, I already have all these people taking in the content I'm creating. What was the work you were mostly doing for scout.com? Were you going to live events and doing 
um, reporting essentially on, on games? Yeah. So I did some of that, but my main thing I did was I covered recruiting. So I would do a lot of like, okay, you know, Illinois basketball is interested in Jason Tatum, for example. Right. And so I would talk to Jason and his mom and his dad and try to learn like their recruiting news. So there were some moments I was able to actually break stories. Like I broke stories about people committing to U of I. And so that also kind of helped me build this following in the college sports space, specifically in the Big Ten, because people were coming to me to hear, you know, what Aaron Jordan had to say. That was somebody whose recruitment I broke or like what Cliff Alexander had to say and things like that. Um, So I I definitely had like a target audience in that moment because that was one of the main things Scout.com did. And then I went to every Illinois football game and every Illinois basketball game and would do like recaps post game. What did you think you wanted to do when you started in the business? Was it feature reporting, interviews with athletes, calling games, sports center? What what like drove your interest? So when I was a freshman, I was like, it would be so cool to be a sideline reporter. And then like five months later, I was like, I don't want to be a sideline reporter. I want to, <laughs> I was like, I want to host or anchor. I felt like that was something that like suited me a little bit more. Um, And so that's what I tried to do. That's what I did at Big Ten Network some, and it's what I did at SNY. But then when I was at the Big Ten Network, I realized how much I loved interviewing people more than literally anything else. Like I... It, everything else paled in comparison to sitting next to someone and asking them questions. And for a couple reasons, like number one, I don't think that there are a lot of just interviewers. And so that was not something that I had in my head of wanting to do because every person that I saw in journalism and definitely every woman I saw was somebody who was like a moderator or an anchor or a silent reporter. So I felt like those were the only roles that existed. I didn't know you could just interview people. So then when I started doing it, I was like, this is what I love the most. So I decided to start the podcast where I interviewed people. And then I brought that also to SNY. And it was very clear to me that that was all I wanted to do. Um, And so again, like my idea of success changed and my idea of what my goals were changed because I was so sure that all I wanted to do was like sit on the desk and tell everybody what happened. But now that's not what calls to me at all. Yeah. It's interesting how actually doing the work changes it. And so I often tell young people like that's part of the reps too, is like, what's it actually like doing this every day versus the idea of it in your head? And you have to do it sometimes to tell whether that's that's the fit or not. We'll get right back to the interview. But first, I'd like a word. Uh, What is your favorite word? Okay, I would say... My favorite word is peace because the definition of peace has evolved for me over the years. And I know I'm cheating, but I'm going to add a second favorite word, which is success, because the definition of that has also evolved for me. And I think one of the really cool things about words is like they have different meanings sometimes based on different stages of your life. So I would say those two. Okay, peace. 
Uh, from the mid-12th century, Freedom from Civil Disorder, Internal Peace of a Nation. It's from the Anglo-French and the Old French and from Latin, Compact Agreement, Treaty of Peace, Tranquility, Absence of War. But just like the word evolved in your life, Taylor, it also evolved in language too. It uh, replaced Old English frio and sib, uh, which also meant happiness. And so from mid-13th century, it came to mean friendly relations between people or the sense of spiritual peace of the heart, soul, or conscious freedom from disturbance by the passions, as in peace of mind, uh, came around to the 1200, and a state of quiet or tranquility, circa 1300, um, and specifically as a treaty or an agreement made between conflicting parties to retain uh, to refrain from further hostilities. That's circa 1400. As for success, it came about in the 1530s, result, outcome, from the Latin, um, and it began meaning accomplishment of a desired end in the 1580s, and 1882, meaning a success, so a thing or a person which succeeds, especially in public, uh, that came around in the 1880s. Um, And of course, that success followed succeed, which came around in the late 14th century to come next after, follow after another, take the place of another, to be elected or chosen for, for a position from the old French. So to succeed someone in their job or something eventually became success. Speaking of great words. You're going to learn today. The word of the week is... The word of the week, uh, inspired by my travels. Now, there were five languages spoken in the countries that I visited on my trip. And by the end, I was saying grazie to people that I was supposed to be saying gracias. It was very confusing. But in Italy, it was Italian. In Switzerland, French, Italian, German, and Romanche. And in Spain, Espanol. Uh, So today, we're going to pay homage to the weird and wacky and fun language that is German. Now, I was tempted to bring back one of my all-time favorite words, the great German word kummerspeck. Uh, which is the weight that you put on when you're overeating due to sadness, usually because of uh, you know a breakup or romantic love that makes you sad. And the word literally translates to grief bacon. Grief bacon, because of all the bacon you're eating due to your grief. One of the greatest words of all time, kummerspeck. Uh, but I've used it before. I also was thinking about teaching you words with funny sounds. Uh, bobblehead in German is wackledackle. Wackledackle. Uh, frills in German. Schnickschnack. But instead, today, a word that I saw all over Switzerland that feels very common, but I couldn't figure out why it was all over the stores I saw. Schmuck. Okay, so now we think of schmuck as like a jerk or a tool. Uh, The Yiddish literally translates to penis. (laughs) When you're calling someone a schmuck, calling someone a penis. So I'm thinking it's the same word, right? German and Yiddish. They must be related. Why do all of these stores say schmuck? Well, in German, schmuck means simply jewelry. So I guess if someone ever calls you a smuck, schmuck, so I guess if someone ever calls you a schmuck, you can just translate it in your head and, you know, consider yourself a jewel. All right, in a sentence, only a schmuck American would see a bunch of stores all over Bern, Switzerland called schmuck and giggle instead of Googling the translation. Now let's get back to the interview. But let's let's go back because before you started the interviewing in SNY, um, right out of college, you end up working, um, actually still in college, you do some work for CBS Sports Network uh, reporting on the women's basketball pre-NIT championship. And then you're working with a number of different places, PGA Tour, Comcast Sportsnet Chicago, doing some internships in addition to your Fox Sports and Scout.com. You've got all that stuff on your resume when you graduate, which allows you to, right after graduation, join Big Ten Network. You mentioned that they saw your work 
and and hired you on. So you did a bunch of stuff there, um, and that's based out of Chicago. So I assume that's where you were. You were doing BTN Live, uh, reporting on games, and then doing a women's sports report with Lisa Byington. That's a whole lot of different roles. And Big Ten Network feels like a great place to start after college because you're reporting on people who are close to your age. You've just been in it, and the vibes and the and and everything. It's a big network, but it's still probably i would imagine a little less scary than um espn or sny or somewhere like that did it feel like a natural space to enter after college oh absolutely like i could not say enough how thankful i am and how grateful i am that that was my first job looking back on it i'm like wow they were insane for letting this like 21 year old do live tv every day (laughs) um but it was the best environment I have like lifelong friends with the Big Ten Network. And I think too, you know, I went from covering the Big Ten to covering the Big Ten, you know? So yep. I felt like I had a very good grasp yeah. on what the conference was, the players were, the coaches and all of those things. And above all else truly is the Big Ten Network and my time at Illinois set a really good foundation for what I do now because I know so many of the athletes because of it. And that has helped me in terms of building the relationships, having people on the show now. All of that is because I was at BTN. I was the same age as a lot of the people. We were able to build relationships a lot earlier. And that has paid off later on in my career, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Did you ever work with my buddy Bill Friedman at Big Ten Network? I did. Oh, my God. (laughs) Bill. I loved Bill. (laughs) He's one of those that's been in the biz forever. So when I first got started, he had we had mutual friends with a friend of mine from college, and he, I, you know, I would always call him up and ask for advice about the business or what I should do. I did my one uh, sideline reporting gig for Big Ten Network too. I was the same. I was like, eh, this isn't really for me. I'm yeah. not a sideline reporter gal, but it was good to get the rep. Oh, um, I love that so much. You know, Bill. Yeah. You him, please tell him I said hi. Yeah, I will for sure. Um, Okay, so you're at Big Ten. You're getting so many different reps. I mean, to be hosting a women's sports show and then also reporting on games and then doing a live TV. I mean, those are all different you know, elements, different parts of the of the industry that you're getting the reps for. Um, And then you end up at SNY. So that's a big jump for a number of reasons. One completely different city completely different vibes. I can just the the tenor and the climate of New York sports and professional sports, particularly versus like the Big Ten Network, to me is the difference between like a warm hug and getting like a giant soda (laughs) thrown at your head. Um, They just feel like very different. Um, So tell me about that move and what you got hired to do at SNY and what your experience was there. Yeah, I mean, I was very close to not taking that SNY job because I had been to New York like one time. And if you don't know New York, you think that all of New York is Times Square. Like you just think that if you <laughs> move to you know what I mean? Like you're like, oh my gosh, am I gonna Well, I guess I'll eat at Bubba Gump world? every night and yes, like, I can't do that. I can't live there. You know, it just felt like it was too much happening, too much going on. I was just like, this isn't for me. And I felt very comfortable at Big Ten Network. And you know, you also feel like, oh, I'm just gonna keep doing this and they'll give me more responsibility and it'll be great. And uh, you know, like you just have these ideas um, of how the job is gonna work for you. But I'll never forget, I actually called Carrie and asked her for advice about it. And she said, you have to bet on yourself. Carrie Champion? Yep, Carrie Champion. Mm -hmm. And she just said, you have to bet on yourself. You have to do the thing that is going to 
make you better. And it was so similar when I spoke to Mike Hall about it as well. He said, in two years, which job do you think will make you better at the job? And to me, that was SNY because I knew how much responsibility I was going to get. I was going to be hosting, anchoring, reporting, and hopefully eventually, you know, bringing the podcast that I had a bit to network there. Like I would be able to try every single role in the number one market, cover important teams. You know, there would, it would be more of like a, a national feel, I felt yeah. like. So, mm-hmm. and I didn't want comfort to be the reason I said no to something. And that would Especially not that early in your career. Exactly. Yeah. And it like comfort is literally why I wouldn't have done it. And I will never forget one of my college professors who was like a really big mentor of mine. His name is Chris Benson. He said to me once, you should always be driven by the pull and not the push. Like Mm. what is pulling you to make the change as opposed to feeling like you're being pushed to make this change. And I really did feel like SNY was a pull for me. Like it was a pull to more responsibility. It was a pull to a bigger platform. And I think it was really a pull closer to all the things that I wanted to eventually be. And so I wanted to be guided by that pull. So I ultimately decided to do SNY, but I genuinely was very close to just staying in Big to Network for another year and like seeing what else, you know, opened up and what happened. Um, but it was a major difference. You know, I'm covering the Giants and the Jets and the Knicks and the Nets and like, it was just wasn't what I was doing. I didn't cover baseball really. And I had to cover the Yankees and the Mets, you know? So it was a lot going on, but um, it ended up being the right decision, but there was a lot of fear that came with making that big jump. Yeah. I think also like when I finally decided to get into sports, I moved back to Chicago to do it because I thought I'm getting into this a little late and I want to be somewhere where it's like rooted in fandom and actual knowledge, right? I'm going to have a lot of catching up to do, but I could still look back and know all the things about the Bulls and the Bears and the Cubs and these teams that I love. Going to a brand new market and having the diehard fans of those teams judge you is a lot. So that's a big leap, not just because it's professional, not just because it's a big market, but now, especially like you said, you weren't really covering baseball. Now you've got to be someone that's the trusted voice on the Yankees when someone watching may have watched every single game their entire lives. Oh, and hockey, which I knew <laughs> nothing just, about. Let's and I, do that hockey. <laughs> yeah, I had to cover hockey so much. I will never forget. I was hosting sports night one night. Keep in mind, like I said, there's no hockey for like a cup of coffee. We had the Atlanta Thrashers and we would go for like field trips. That was the extent of what I knew about hockey. So I'm hosting sports night and you know how you have like the establishing shot in the beginning of like what happened before the game, whatever. And there was a guy who I had never heard of. He was there. (laughs) They had the shot on him. (laughs) And I go, and in the crowd was, Mark no, Messier. No. no. And I didn't know I was wrong. Oh, your menchies. Your menchies were and just like, blowing up. It's Messier. Like, he's a legend. How do you not know? Oh, my God. I'm like, this is so bad. You know, in that moment, it's like you think that, like, your life's over, your career's over. Oh, yeah. Career's like, over. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I will never forget that name for the rest of my <laughs> life. I won't forget that face or that name. If yep. I see him, I am introducing myself. I'm saying, hi, I know this guy, you know? That's so funny. It was really things like, it was a major learning her for things like hockey, you know? Um, 
but I'm super thankful for it. I think that it was also a big lesson. And sometimes you cover things that you don't necessarily want to. And like I, growing up, like I'm a, I'm a football girl, I'm a basketball girl. I wasn't used to the other sports, but now like I have an affinity for some of them because I had to go so much. I'm like, I get why this is so fun. Like some of those minutes in hockey are like the most intense moments in sports, you know? And I, but I yeah. didn't know that I had to Gosh, really playoff it. hockey, overtime hockey. It's incredible. Yes. The so, action doesn't stop. Yeah. yeah. I actually similarly like it, Chicago, the Blackhawks were blacked out for much of my youth. The owner thought that there would be better ticket sales if you couldn't watch them on TV. Terrible plan. Absolutely oh, awful. Wow. But, um, so we didn't grow up caring much about them at least, um, my family, well, my parents don't like sports anyway, but I wasn't into it. And when I moved back to Chicago, the first team that I got put on was the Blackhawks. And it was right after Taves and Kane got drafted. The team was about to go on this run of three titles in seven years. And I'm the first locker room I'm ever in because I never did college. I never did the job before this is professional Blackhawks, like on the verge of this massive season. Um, and wow. it was terrifying. It's terrifying yeah. because, you know, you have to learn so fast and you have to sort of ask questions to learn without giving away that like you don't know what the you're doing yet. totally yes yeah I, oh my gosh um, and you become an expert in that yes like, yes like really how do i word it. this to get the information i need but not let it <laughs> be known that i'm yeah and like honestly in this business that's one of the things when you start out it's the best time to ask questions but it's so scary to let on that you don't know everything yet um and then when you get older there's such a freedom in being able to laugh off the things you don't know because we can't know everything it is not possible to do this job and know every player in every sport and every transaction and every piece of history um you just do your best and you work hard and um once you can just sort of accept it and not think oh my god my career's over um everything gets easier uh, but oh, that's hard cool. hard to do when you're younger yeah and i also think there's something very um i don't know if endearing is the right word but certainly something that makes you a, a bit more maybe relatable when you are honest about not knowing things yes like, I, I think that we just in some ways have to normalize saying like i don't know or i'm learning about this at this moment because yeah. what happens is when you're talking about some something that you're not fully informed about i think that you look much worse well that's the thing as a woman that i find is it is so held against us when we don't know something and against our entire gender yeah. like that's why women shouldn't like all women because i didn't know one thing <laughs> yeah. right like it's it's so it's so difficult that um I tend to stay in my lane and not get over my skis to use two different analogies at once. Uh, when I'm talking about something I'm not as sure about because I don't wanna say something or sound like I don't know what I'm talking about. Whereas I can say for sure that I've listened to plenty of men in the business who don't know jack shit about yeah. something and they will go off and I'll be like, yeah, no, none of that is accurate. Yeah, none um, of that is true. And they're just yeah. like very confident in it because if they up people are like oh i probably meant to say the other thing you know whereas totally. for us it's like she never knew it and she doesn't deserve the job yeah and like so you saying that there's two things that come to mind when you say that which is okay number one it is so unfortunate and annoying that we singularly become the representative of everyone mm -hmm. like that is something that is incredibly pro problematic and just doesn't happen for men but that's something we know right but what i always think about is when i was reading becoming michelle obama's book yeah. One thing she says in that is what I realized through life is these men, and she particularly was talking about white men, 
aren't smarter than me. They're just more emboldened. Yep. And so I really try to tell myself when I'm in rooms, like it is very important to be emboldened. And like women actually should have that luxury of being incorrect. And we should be afforded that luxury of learning and growing because men do have that. But you're so scared of what people are going to say about you or think about you if you're emboldened and wrong. But I'm just like that, like that idea of up and still being okay should stretch across all people. Yeah, it's I was just um, uh, that that concept applies. Dominique Foxworth said that about becoming part of players associations and going into meetings for the NFL with NFL owners and assuming if these people are like billionaires who had great success in the business world that allowed them to become owners of NFL teams, they must be brilliant. And he would look around and be like, man, I'm smarter than all these dudes. Literally. Right? And, and, and that's part of it too. I think the conditioning or um, the just what we have ingrained in us from a young age about particularly privileged white men, but just men in general compared to women, we have to talk ourselves out of the bullshit that, that causes us to doubt ourselves um, in a way that's unfortunate. And it also is reflected in the opinions of so many other people. And I think it's so much better now that you're in the biz um, in the last 10 years for you than it was for my first 10 years. And then it was for the women before me because there's so many more women, but it really used to be a woman walks into a clubhouse and it's basically, she must be a on groupie until she proves otherwise. Yeah. Whereas the men were, oh, they probably got this job because they love sports and they're good at it until they prove otherwise. And so you came in with a whole set of expectations and, and bullshit doubts uh, through no fault of your own, just for walking in. Um, and I think that's changing a lot, but because that's already put on you before you've said or done anything, then you start to internalize it. Um, and it was amazing for me to see the difference between walking in with my first gig and then even a year or two later, now I'm working for ESPN and they see me on TV doing f- like really smart, thoughtful pieces. And they're like, oh, that was great. I never, and I'm like, I'm the same person. You just treated me like shit because you assumed right. I wasn't you know, capable. Um, and you, in- it's easy to internalize that and doubt yourself. Um, I'm so glad that you you seem like you've already figured that out at such a young age because um, it can take a while sometimes to to decondition all that shit. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah, and yeah. I think too, like, it, you're right. That is something that comes in time and it's another reason I'm thankful that I was able to start so early because yep. now things that happen to me on the internet, like, I don't care, you know? like, <laughs> And not even do I not care, I have learned that Nobody really cares. It goes away. Yeah. Unless it's really bad. It exactly. goes away. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> and if it's really bad, then maybe you deserve for it not to go yeah, away. Yeah, if it's bad, you need to take, yeah, you need to take what they're talking about in that moment. But I'm like, yeah, you just have to get to the next day. Like I say yep. all the time, the internet is not a real place. No. So we have like the amount it of keeps things. receipts but there's so many receipts yeah that, you, you that people move on to somebody else yeah, yeah. <laughs> so many yeah. things cease to exist the moment we put our phones down or close our laptops yeah and i always try to tell myself that like this is not a real thing that affects you in a real way except when you let it and i'm when not you let you it. Know, yeah. yeah and i'm not yeah. saying you know, i get why it is hard to be on the internet sometimes i'm not diminishing that fact but it took a like a different framing of the internet for me to really get over anything the internet says. Totally. And also, Absolutely. when I realized 
half the things on the internet are not true. I'm like, why does anybody care about this? Right, right. You know what and I half mean? The like, people aren't real. real. Yeah. Half the people aren't the <laughs> ones that are like, I'm devastated that you didn't know this or I disagree with this. And then you're like, this is a troll account. Yeah. So it's not totally. a real person. Okay, so you're 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 working um, at SNY. You're getting all these skills. When did the Turner Bleacher Report stuff happen? So that happened two years into SNY, and uh, another story. I had an SNY contract for three years actually. But so in my in the beginning of my second year at SNY, I started a podcast there that got to be like pretty successful in New York. Like I had, it was an interview based show. I had KD on there. I had Dwayne Wade, Jimmy Butler, nice. Alan Brown. So I got Meek Mill came on the podcast like two days after he was released. Um, and so, so how are you getting these guests? Oh my gosh. I tell everybody this, the power of social media again, like, so we'll just Kevin sliding into DMS. Yeah. Kevin is somebody I've known since I was like 19 years old. So I just asked if he would come on D Wade is somebody we follow each other on Twitter. So I just said, Hey, like when you're in New York, would you be down to do the show? And he's like, Yo. that's what I always do. I'm like, Oh, this person I'm interested in, or I think is cool or is famous and interesting follows me. Let me slide to those DMs. Absolutely. Like that. <laughs> if you follow now, me already, then the chances of you saying yes, pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And that's how I got like, the majority of everyone that came on the show was like, okay, if we followed each other, I just asked. The worst yeah. thing someone can say is no. Yeah. So, you know, all those people were coming into the SNY studios and doing these like hour long interviews. And so some of them were, they were making news, you know, like there was a thing that like, oh, this person said this on, you know, Taylor's podcast, whatever, whatever. So Bjorn Turner saw that show and was like, hey, we want to build a show around you. We want you to come here. I still had a year left on my deal. So I had to have, you know, a conversation with, you know, the head of SNY and essentially say like, you know, I love everyone here. I've loved my experience here, but I want to be fulfilled by something else. And if you would not pick up that option in the third year, like I would greatly appreciate it. It's the thing that I think is best for my career or whatever, whatever, which is obviously, you know, a big risk because he could just say no, like we, no, we and now you're here for a year, year and we're pissed at you. Exactly. <laughs> but he said like, he was so great about it. He's like, you know what? I think at this point it would make sense for you to leave. Like there That's are great. other things that you are meant to do. And he let me out of that deal. And so I was able to work for VR and Turner and that's what I do now. That's awesome. Okay, so you do special interview segments and appearances for NBA and TNT. You do features and, and interviews and all that stuff. Um, and then you're going to make your Thursday Night Football debut a week from Thursday mm -hmm. during the first Thursday game of the Prime Video Amazon Thursday Night Football broadcast. That's going to be Chargers Chiefs, which is an awesome, awesome matchup, too, yeah. for you to get your debut. I want to ask you, uh, um, you know, for something like the NFL – there's there's both a ton of pressure in the sense that it's the biggest game it's the biggest show every single of the top rated broadcasts of every kind of television are football games so you know it's tons of eyeballs but you also have done so many different things now that i feel like it would be hard to really get you too nervous like is there anything about this gig that has you nervous about having not done it before or it feeling different than the work you've already done? No, I'm certainly not nervous about it. I would say that I am eager because one thing that really sticks out to me is just the way that 
the NBA is covered and the way that we do NBA interviews is just vastly different from how the NFL is covered and how the NFL does interviews. I love the very personal, relatable, kind of humanistic interviews that happen in the NBA. And what I found when I'm just like even prepping and watching a lot of NFL interviews, there is such a major focus on what happens on the field. And I think that's great. And that's an important element of it. And of course, I will always talk about that in those interviews. But I want there to be a touch of that that NBA-ness um, in the NFL as well. Like it's important to talk- Getting to, the to know players. the players better. Yeah, yeah, like as whole people and right. making them feel a lot more comfortable. I don't think that interviews should be question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. Like it should be an exchange of thought and idea yeah. and conversation discussion. And so that is the feel that I'm wanting to take to the NFL, you know, for Thursday Night Football on Prime Video. So it's not a nervousness with that. It's just more like, how can I do that effectively in a way that feels fresh and different if the NFL viewer likes? Because, you know, you live in the paradigms, you know, like the NFL fans are used to a specific type of interviews. This might be vastly different, you know, than, you know, from what it is that they have seen. Um, so I just want I want that to be received well. Yeah, I think I think and hope it will, because I think one of the interesting things about the differences across sports is the obvious but sometimes underappreciated nuances that affect how we view the people playing them. And and specifically with basketball, you could see their faces and their bodies, and there are very few of them. Yeah, we feel like we know them better. When I started doing the hockey stuff, I thought they've got pads and helmets they're constantly doing line shifts there's a bunch of players on every team and there's a fair amount of games it's not like baseball baseball's the hardest i think because it's so much just like there's a game every day there's not a lot of time to dick around and get to know people because you're talking about the game that happened that day over and over again yeah hockey there's a fair amount of games but there's enough time in between that i focused on how do i get the fans to know these players better especially a team like the blackhawks that wasn't super popular when i started covering them because they were just getting out of this lengthy funk and that's the same with football it doesn't need help in terms of popularity but there are so many different players on a roster many of whom people wouldn't recognize by face many of whom people don't know anything about other than you know a couple stats and yeah. that's that's another part of like you said humanizing what we're watching and and betting on and the way we treat these people as not people if they disappoint us or they fail or they suck or they struggle um i think interviews and getting to know people more so than who they are as athletes is such a huge part of our job that some people kind of lose a little bit oh 100 percent agree and to me like that's actually the most interesting part yeah like if i want to get all the stats and i want to you know get all the numbers all that stuff i can watch the game I can watch a show that's discussing that. But I think it's a very specific thing to be able to get to know a person through someone else. And that's what I really like about interviewing is I really do view myself as like the vehicle to understand a person or yep. a player. Mm -hmm. And you don't get to do that when you're focused on the game. Like yeah. all of that stuff to me, to me, that's the bonus. I think people think about it the opposite way. But That's the job I want to do for fans because they can watch the game, but they can't go ask their favorite players questions about themselves. Exactly. And exactly. I want to be the person that gets to the people that they care about and helps them get to know them better and be curious and learn the things that they are not able to ask because they don't have the access. Yeah, because, you know, it's like one of the 
things I love about sports is that, you know, there is a clear winner and a clear loser. That is something that you have there. You can point to, you see why this player or this team won. You watch, you see that from watching the game, but who people are is not clear cut. You can only get to the heart of who someone is and why they are the way they are by asking them about specific questions. And I think that's just like a really beautiful, beautiful thing. I always say to people like, I love the idea of asking a question because it literally means my job is about what do I not know? Mm-hmm. That's the point of asking a question. I yep. don't know the answer to this. Can you tell me? I don't right. know this about you. So I'm going to ask. You just have to want to understand people and learn about them to be a journalist. It's about, it's about curiosity. Exactly. It's about curiosity and it's about preparation so that when you yes. ask the right questions, you get the things that you're looking for mm-hmm. or things that you didn't expect that are even better than anything you could have guessed at. Totally. I want to ask you a speed round quickly. Okay. You've interviewed a lot of players in a lot of sports. I won't hold you to any of these answers. So the first <laughs> thing that comes to mind is the answer. They are speed round questions. Okay. Funniest player you interviewed? Micah Parsons. Most open and honest. Candace Parker. Made you the most nervous. Allen Iverson. Most surprising. Hmm. Maybe someone you had an impression of and they were totally different. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Maybe I'll say Jimmy Butler. Okay, cool. Uh, toughest to crack open. Ooh. Quavo. And your dream interview that you haven't gotten yet? Oh, Serena Williams. That's so easy. Serena, oh, she's Serena, tough. Serena. She's yeah. so tough to get. I interviewed her once and it was very quick. Um, and it, it was tough. It was like, it was for a specific thing. It was, there were people sitting right next to us watching and it was like just about this thing. And it was like, it was pretty disappointing, unfortunately, because I just wanted to really sit and talk to her and yeah. have a real interview and have it not be like, ask this question about this thing. Um, but yeah, she's a tough one. She's a tough one. The Spanish Inquisition is brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. We're running out of time, so you have to do the one thing that everybody does and nobody expects. It's another speed round. It's the Spanish Inquisition. Number one, your current career is canceled. You can't work in sports at all. What job do you do instead? Um, I would teach. Okay, what would you teach? I think I would like to teach journalism or I would like cool. to teach like something reading or writing based. Yeah, yeah. Number two, what's the most scared you've ever been? Ooh, most scared I have ever been is probably when I was in high school and we realized that my sister had type one diabetes and I just remember mm. not knowing a bunch about it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that just sticks out to me. Probably that. And she's be the- obviously fine, great functioning. Good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had a feeling. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that, that just moment, I just remember, you know, your little sister, you're like, oh my God, what does this mean? Is she going to be fine? And obviously she's totally fine. But I just was really scared in that moment. You can be the best in the world at one thing for one day. What is it? <sighs> oh my gosh. I would love to be like the greatest singer of all time. I think it'd be mm, so cool right? to have be a on that concert. stage. Yes. I'm like, of people. And everyone is singing your yes. songs. They all came for you. Like just doing that one time would be really cool. Amazing. Love that. Uh, number four, what current celebrity 
from music, politics, TV, sports, whatever, would you most like to be your best friend? Oh, I mean, that's probably Serena again. It's Serena <laughs> or it's like Michelle Obama. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be pretty It's good. so funny. Like growing up, like when I was in high school, some in college, well, it was, it was, this was more like college. Um, I love Sue Bird. But now Sue and I are really good friends. Yeah, but I Sue's was awesome. Like, Sue is my fit. Like, I just thought she was the coolest. I remember when I very first met Sue, I like fanned the girl the whole time. So I don't know why she even talks to me. Um, but so it is. it has certainly changed your time. You know, you meet people that you're big fans of, but I would yeah. definitely say Serena and Michelle Obama. And Rihanna, I would love to be Rihanna. <laughs> I said one. Okay, number five. <laughs> uh, what's your biggest, most meaningless pet peeve? I do not like small talk. Like, Ooh, I love, me neither. Like, I'm like, no, like you, we, you can either just explicitly ask me the thing you want to ask me, or we can have like a real conversation. But I'm like, the text is like, what you doing? I'm like, no, like, let's just talk. That's like, honestly, one of the reasons I like not being in a office every day. Yes. I hate walking in like, how was your week? And it's like, it's just like, I like just get to the good stuff or like leave me alone. Basically, <laughs> yes. I'm like a very social person, but I want to have cool, interesting conversations, or I want to be left alone. Exactly, I, don't, I love I to talk. Don't let's want to be bored. But let's talking to you. Talk. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, number six. What's the most embarrassed you've ever been? Oh my God! Was it when I got Mark Messier's name wrong? It might have been. I mean, it's up there. Um, it's up there. Yeah, I mean, I was embarrassed about that. I'm not a person that like gets embarrassed really. Like, I'll do something embarrassing, but I don't feel embarrassed, you know? Good. Um, Good. Unless it's like something I should have known. So it's probably that the Mark thing, honestly. Yeah. Uh, number seven. What's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? Oh, my patience. I'm an impatient person. Um, mm -hmm. in all facets of my life. And that is, is definitely a flaw at times. So I would definitely need to work on my patience. Mm -hmm. uh, number eight, any musician or band alive or dead can play your next party. Who is it? Ooh, I mean, it would be like Whitney Houston. Yeah. You know, or yeah, Prince, yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Oh God. I love Whitney. Lo I love Prince like, too, no, but I'm like Whitney. Like, with Whitney. Yes. Yeah. That's my girl. Like, I just, listen, I'm old enough to have had a just two side cassette single. Didn't we almost have it all with the B side? Oh, and that was what my a fucking great song. Jam. I mean, people do not, like, people don't really understand that no. her voice and will I think never that's be duplicated. Why, yes. Like, it's, and also, she hasn't been, like, in my mind, like, killed by overplaying. Like, obviously, I want to dance with somebody, and there's some songs that you hear all the time. But I can go deep cuts Whitney for, like, an hour yeah. and be, like, still just, like, thrilled to be listening because I don't hear it all the time. Have you, Are you a Peloton person? I'm not. I'm a Pilates gal. Okay. So say there is a Peloton Whitney Houston ride oh. and it is just a joyful 40 minutes of me singing at the top of my lungs while exercising. It's, <laughs> yeah, a, she's great. it's a, it's a real good time. Yeah. yeah. Like truly um, one of number them. nine. Yes. Yes. 100%. Uh, what did you consider your biggest failure? I think sometimes, wait, did you want this to be work related? Um, no, everything in life. Sometimes I get really sad about, like, I wish that I 
before my grandparents passed, I wish I spoke to them more. Like we had a great relationship, but I think that, you know, when you're young, you just like, don't think about how you need to cherish like every moment with the people that you love. And I think that I failed in terms of reaching out as much as I could. And that's something that I definitely think about a lot. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think also, too, when you're younger, you don't value as much the insights yeah. and storytelling and and memories of older people. And then when you get to a certain age, you realize how special it is. Um, so that's tough if you're if they're not around anymore. Uh, yeah. Number 10, what three individual words would you most hope that people would use to describe you? Hmm. First off, kind. That's most importantly, I would I want everyone to to believe that I, I'm kind. Um, trustworthy and like welcoming. Um, yeah, I just, I want everyone to feel warm and like they can be comfortable being themselves around me. Um, trustworthy, kind and welcoming. Those are good. Yeah. Those are probably my three. All right. Last question. Bonus question. Who should I have on this podcast? Who is someone from any industry or walk of life that I would find interesting? Oh my gosh, I think there's so many people. Oh, I know. who would I say? I mean, have you had Sue on? Yeah, 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 for sure. I'm obsessed with Sue. I oh like consider her a best, best like, friend insane. in my mind. Like I'm not her best friend, but in my mind, she is my best friend. <laughs> no, she's the best. She really is. Um, maybe, well, if it's not Sue, what about like, Diana. I'm so intrigued by Diana. I, yes. And she she's does no like interview. Serena. She's like Serena. Yeah, We're like, it's just interview. so hard to get. Yeah. I, yeah. All right. I'm putting that, that. I'm putting that at the top of the list to try to make that happen somehow. Yeah. Uh, Taylor, it was so great to talk to you and get to know you more. I'm really looking forward to seeing your stuff on Amazon and congrats on all the awesome success you've already had. Thank you so much. No, I'm so happy I got to do this. I'm happy I got to see you in person in Chicago. I know, because we were both with our best friend, Sue. Yeah, exactly. That's why we were yeah. there. So we, we went to her last game. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, all three of us. We'll hang out soon. Because, no, uh, again, she's going to call me any second and be like, hey, I <laughs> am your best so friend. Fun. I deeply yeah. appreciate you for having me on. That's what she said. Oh, yeah. One more thing. This is a place for rants, raves, everything in between. Sometimes I'll complain about something. Sometimes I'll tell you something to listen to, watch, read, check out. Um, And this week, it's the new TV series on Amazon Prime, A League of Their Own. So before my flights to and across and back from Europe, I downloaded the season to my phone. I ended up watching the whole thing in my little breaks. And it's fantastic. Um, Nick Offerman was recently on this very podcast saying that, you know, no one would mistake the movie for the show. They are different looks at the same time in history. And that's absolutely right. You know, the heart is there, the chutzpah of the players, the uniforms, the team names, all the history that inspired the film. But the series goes deep into so many other things. It's incredibly well written. It's funny. It's heartwarming. It tackles real issues of the day, racism, homophobia, um, really deftly and beautifully, too. Uh, And the performances are fantastic. Obviously, the stars, Darcy Carden and Abby Jacobson, are great. But there are some real standouts in there. Um, Jess and Stryker are two of my favorites, Kelly McCormick and Roberta Colindres. I just I really recommend that you check it out. There's a lot of lesbian storylines, a lot of storylines about race, a lot of storylines about gender dynamics and in that time. Um, And if you love the film or you love Abby Jacobson's Broad City or just interested in sort of like the fascinating social issues and conflicts of the time, um, it's a really good watch. But it's also just super fun. Uh, 
So check it out. You can always tweet me at Sarah Spain if you have suggestions, questions, dilemmas, or more. And you should always go to the iTunes or podcast app, follow and subscribe. That's what she said with Sarah Spain. Rate it five stars, please. Give me a nice review. Maybe you'll end up on the pod. Thanks as always for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said. 